Hello friends, I'm Amit. I welcome you everyone to this podcast, Amit Speaks. Today you will hear me presenting the speech which was delivered by Franklin D. Roosevelt. Franklin Delano Roosevelt rose from being governor of New York in 1928 to president of the United States in 1932. Despite being stricken with polio in 1921, which left him partially paralyzed in the legs and necessitated the use of a wheelchair in later years. FDR as he was known was elected president in November 1932 at a time when America and the world was beset by economic depression after the Wall Street crash of October 1929 in this speech Roosevelt outlines his plan for a new deal and economic recovery his speech this is a day of national consecration and i am certain that on this day my fellow americans accept that on my induction into the presidency i will address them with a candor and decision which the present situation of our people impels this is preeminently that the time to speak the truth the whole truth frankly and boldly nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today This great nation will endure as it has endured will revive and will prosper. So first of all let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself nameless unreasoning unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. In every dark hour of our national life a leadership of frankness and vigor has met with that understanding and support of the people themselves which is essential to victory i am convinced that you will again give that support to leadership in these critical days in such a spirit of my part and yours we face our common difficulties they concern thank god only material things values have shrunk to fantastic levels taxes have risen our ability to pay has fallen government of all kinds is faced by serious curtailment of income the means of exchange are frozen in the currents of trade the withered leaves of industrial enterprise lie on every side farmers find no markets for their produce the savings of many years in thousands of families are gone more important a host of unemployed citizens face the grim problem of existence and an equally great number toil in return only a foolish optimist can deny the dark realities of the moment and yet our distress comes from no failure of substance we are stricken by no plague of locusts compared with the perils which our forefathers conquered because they believed and were not afraid we have still much to be thankful for nature still offers her bounty and human efforts have multiplied it plenty is at our doorstep but the generous use of its languishes in the very side of the supply primarily this is because the rurals rulers of the exchange of mankind's goods have failed through their own stubbornness and their own incompetence have admitted their failure and have abdicated practices of the unscrupulous money changers stand indicted in the code of public opinion rejected by the hearts and minds of men true they have tried but their efforts have been cast in the pattern of 
an outworn tradition faced by the failure of credit they have proposed only the lending of more money stripped off the lure of profit by which to induce or people to follow their false leadership they have resorted to exhortations pleading tearfully for restored confidence they know only the rules of a generation of self seekers they have no vision and when there is no vision the people perish yes the money changers have fled from their high seats in the temple of our civilization we may now restore that temple to the ancient truths the measure of the restoration lies in the extent to which we apply social values more noble than their monetary profit happiness lies not in the mere possession of money it lies in the joy of achievement in the thrill of creative effort the joy and moral stimulation of work no longer must be forgotten in the mad chase of evanescent profits these dark days will be worth all they cost us if they teach us that our true destiny is not to be ministered unto but to minister to ourselves and to our fellow men recognition of the falsity of material wealth as the standard of success goes hand in hand with the abandonment of the false belief and that public office and high political position are to be valued only by the standards of the pride of place and personal profit there must be an end to a conduct in banking and in business which too often has given to a sacred trust the likeness of callous and selfish wrong doing small wonder that confidence languishes for it thrives only on honesty on honor on the sacredness of obligations on faithful protection and on unselfish performance without them it cannot live restoration calls however not for changes in ethics alone this nation asks for action and action now our greatest primary task is to put people to work this is no unsolvable problem if we face it wisely and courageously it can be accomplished in the part by direct recruiting by the government itself treating the task as we would treat the emergency of a war but at the same time through this unemployment accomplishing the greatly needed projects to stimulate and reorganize the use of our natural resources hand in hand with that we must frankly re- recognize the overbalance of population in our industrial centers and by engaging on a national scale in redistribution endeavor to provide a better use of the land for those best fitted of the land yes the task can be helped by the definite efforts to raise the values of agricultural products and with this the power to purchase the output of our cities it can help by preventing realistically the tragedy of the growing loss through foreclosure of our small homes and our farms it can be helped by insistence that the federal state and local governments act forthwith on the demand that their cost be drastically reduced it can be helped by the unifying of relief activities 
which today are often scattered uneconomical and unequal it can be helped by the national planning for and supervision of all forms of transportation and communications and other utilities that have definite public character there are many ways in which it can be helped but it can never be helped merely by talking about it we must act we must act quickly finally in our progress toward a resumption of work we require two safeguards against a return of the evils of the older order there must be strict supervision of all banking and credits and investments there must be an end to speculation with other people's money and there must be provision for an adequate but sound currency there are the lines of attack i shall presently urge upon a new congress in special session detailed measures for their fulfillment and i shall seek the immediate assistance of the 48 states through this program of action we address ourselves to putting our own national house in order and making income balance outgo our international trade relations though vastly important are in point of time and necessity secondary to the establishment of sound national economy i favor as a practical policy putting of first things first i shall spare no effort to restore world trade by international economic readjustment but the emergency at home cannot wait on that accomplishment the basic thought that guides these specific means of national recovery is not narrowly nationalistic it is the insistence at a first consideration upon the interdependence of the various elements in all parts of the united states a recognition of the old and permanently important manifestation of the american spirit of the pioneer it is the way to recovery it is the immediate way it is the strongest assurance that the recovery will endure in the field of world policy i would dictate this nation to the policy of the good neighbor the neighbor who resolutely respects himself and because he does so respects the rights of the others the neighbor who respects his obligations and respects the sanctity of his agreements in and with a world of neighbors if i read the temper of our people correctly we now realize as we have never realized before our interdependence on each other that we can not merely take but we must give as well that if we are to go forward we must move a trained and loyal army willing to sacrifice for the good of a common discipline because without such discipline no progress is made no leadership becomes effective we are i know ready and willing to submit our lives and property to such discipline because it makes possible a leadership which aims at a larger good this i propose to offer pledging that the larger purposes will bind upon us bind upon us all as a sacred obligation with a unity of duty hitherto evoked only in the times of armed strife with this pledge taken i assume unhesitatingly the leadership of this great army of our people dedicated to a disciplined attack upon our common problems action in this image and to this end is feasible under the form of government which we have inherited from our ancestors
our constitution is so simple and we have inherited from our ancestors our constitution is to it's so simple and practical that it is possible always to meet extraordinary needs by changes in emphasis and arrangement without loss of essential form that is why our constitutional system has proved itself the most superbly enduring political mechanism the modern world has ever seen it has met every stress of vast expansion of territory of foreign wars of bitter internal strife and of world relations and it is to be hoped that the normal balance of executive and legislative authority may be wholly adequate to meet the unprecedented task before us but if it may be that an unprecedented demand and need of undelayed action may call of for temporary departure from the normal balance of its public procedure i am prepared under my constitutional duty to recommend measures that stricken nation in the midst of a stricken world may require these measures or such other measures as the congress may build out its experience and wisdom i shall seek within my constitutional authority to bring to speedy adoption but in the event that the congress shall shall fail to take on take one of these two courses and in that the event that the national emergency is still critical i shall not evade the clear course of duty that will then confront me i shall ask the congress for the one remaining instrument to meet the crisis broad executive power to wage a war against the emergency as great as the power that would be given to me if we were in fact invaded by a foreign fee for the trust reposed in me i will return the courage and the devotion that befit the time i can do no less we face the arduous days that lie before us in the warm outra- warm courage of the national unity with the clear consciousness of seeking old and precious moral values with the clean satisfaction that comes from the stern performance of duty by old and young alike we aim at the assur- assurance of a rounded a permanent nation- national life we do not distrust the future of essential democracy the people of the united states that have not failed in their need they have registered a mandate that they want direct vigorous action they have asked for discipline and direction under leadership they have made me the present instrument of their wishes in the spirit of the gift i take it in this dedication of a nation we humbly ask the blessing of god may he protect each and every one of us may he guide me in the days to come friends franklin d roosevelt's bold persistent leadership sought to make government and its institutions responsible for the economic well-being of the american people fdr created government agencies closed banks and even took on the supreme court in order to facilitate economic recovery but although he did, he held more power than any other american president before or since he never lost the common touch with the people 
Roosevelt used a powerful new communication medium, radio, to speak to the American people in a series of historic speeches he called Fireside Chats. He served four consecutive terms as president from 1933 to 1945, a feat unprecedented in the history of the country and one not allowable today because of constitutional amendment. It was a situation born out of the incredible events of that time, the depression, the conflict in Europe, the unprovoked attack on Pearl Harbor by Japanese forces and finally World War II itself. For Roosevelt's part, he proved an inspirational wartime commander-in-chief despite being confined to a wheelchair in later life. Winning the war became his number one priority. Even in the face of criticism of the internment of 1,12,000 Japanese Americans, the failure of his government to articulate an adequate response to Hitler's treatment of the Jews in Europe and the apparent appeasement of Russian leader Joseph Stalin at the Yalta Conference in 1945. However, Roosevelt was fated never to see victory. He succumbed to a cerebral hemorrhage aged 63 on 12 April 1945. The irony remains, would the American people have elected a partially crippled man to the White House if they had televisions and television networks during the 1930s? This was the Franklin D. Roosevelt inaugural presidential address, Washington D.C. on 4th March 1933. Thank you for listening this podcast. Bye-bye.